Yeah, so, so glad to get to be here with you and, and grateful for our partnership here at First Baptist Plano with Forest Community Church and with Pastor Dr. Paul Kim. He does not like it when I call him doctor. He, but, uh, or, or pastor. He just wants me to call him Paul, but I, I, I always call him Pastor Doctor. <laughs> uh, he just looks like a pastor doctor, you know? He does. I'll tell him I said that. He is my, my friend. I'm so, so grateful for his ministry here. And for the opportunity to get to uh, share God's word with you today, I bring greetings from First Baptist Plano. We are so, so grateful that we get to partner together for the sake of the gospel. And, and it excites us so much that all day long on a Sunday, as people drive by on the George Bush Turnpike, they see that there's something going on here and, and that, that the word of God is being preached and and the Lord's being worshipped, and what great stewardship of this place. Amen? Amen. So this time, let's have a time of prayer. I want to invite you to pray with me as we look to, look to God's word together, that the Lord would speak to us, that we would have understanding, know how to apply it to our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we give thanks for this time of worship and a time to be together as your people in fellowship and also to, to lift up the name of Jesus, which we've come to do, and to hear a word from you. I pray that you would put that word on our hearts, that it would be from you, that it would be clear, and that we would know what to do with our lives as we seek to match up with your spirit and your word, your truth. And uh, I pray that sincerely in the name of Jesus. Amen. So there's a, there's a video that's been passed around social media for several years that I've been tagged on probably five or six times at least, and it's called The Honest Preacher. And I, I'm sure that you may have seen it. There's this, it's this church setting, and it's this preacher who is pretty distraught and frustrated, mostly with his people. And he gets really honest and just starts, and it's, it's, a, it's not intended to be serious. And he decides to call his people out. He basically calls them jerks. And everybody's kind of taken back, and he's making these kind of funny, frustrated, distraught noises. And at one point, he looks at this guy, he points at him, he calls him by name. His name was Dan, and he tells Dan that he's the worst. Have you seen this? Oh, y'all, I'm telling you about a video you have not seen. Okay, it's, it's, it's intended to be funny, and it is. Uh, yeah, so he calls out this guy, Dan, 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 y'all, Dan is the worst. And, and Dan has this like really uh, distraught look on his face, almost like he knew he was the worst or thought, but now it's been said publicly and now he's got to deal with that. And, uh, and then the pastor kind of wraps it up. It's like this really short message. He calls everybody out, calls out Dan, and then Lord be with us. And it, it's over. Y'all look this up, honest preacher. Not right now. Not right now, but later. And so it's funny because I see this and I've seen it recently and I, I relate to this in the sense that my church people 
they call me out for this even though it's not real or true. See, I get, I get people to come up to me and they say, Pastor, I know when you were talking about this particular topic in the sermon, you were looking right at me, and I know it. And they're like, how did, how did, how did you know? I'm like, what, 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 are you, what are you talking about? Right? And they're like, no, no, you, in the middle, you, you were right there, and then you, you looked at me, and it's like you, you knew. No, I didn't know. And then multiple times I've been accused of this. They say, Pastor, I know that my wife called you this week. She had to have. And then you put that in your sermon, and then you looked at me. I'm like, brother, your wife did not call me. I know. Tell me, tell me the truth, Pastor. These are, y'all, these are real conversations. You know, in the, in the course of a message, and you're opening God's word, and you got eye contact, and you're looking across. What's going on is the Holy Spirit convicts people, and then they're blaming the preacher. See? But, now, I have my own experience with it because I grew up as a preacher's kid, and my dad would preach, and he has the eye contact. He'd look at me. It's the worst when you're the preacher's kid because then I'm like, oh, no, he knows what I did, and then he's going to address it like this in front of God and everybody. Now, today we're going to look to Acts chapter 2. Interesting thing about Acts chapter 2, maybe one of the most famous sermons of all time. It's right after the introduction of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes like a mighty, violent, rushing wind among this group of people. And this sermon from Peter. And what does he do? He looks at everybody and calls them out. So based on the Bible, I can totally do that, just like in the Honest Preacher video. I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. I mean, it's there in the Bible. But interesting that this is the approach. The Spirit is there. Uniquely, Peter presents the gospel, and there's this response. At First Baptist Plano right now, we are in a series called 180 Conversion power, looking to stories, events in the book of Acts where we see the conversion power of our God over and over and over again. And what happens is the early church is formed and grows because of conversion power, people coming forth for baptism, they're publicly professing Jesus, they're being baptized publicly, and then it just keeps going. And it's like wildfire. It's a chain reaction. And this Pentecost is where it really gets going. Acts chapter 2. We'll look at verses 37 through 41, and that will be where we'll focus. But I want to get you there. I want to explain what's happening in the text to, to get us to the part where we'll focus. Verse 37 through 41 is what happens. Holy Spirit comes, the sermon has been preached, what happens then? But this is, this is what's going on. The, the Spirit shows up like a mighty rushing wind. I just want you to hear this. It says, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. And what happened is the people, they spoke in tongues 
And what the scripture explains is that there were people there from different places and different cultures and different languages. And what happened is as the spirit came and the people spoke in different tongues, it made it to where everyone there could understand what was happening. And that was done only by the power of the spirit. So the spirit shows up in this like dramatic way. And then the people thought, does anybody know the story? The people thought with all of the people speaking in the different tongues and the, and the people being able to understand it, people thought that they were drunk. And so Peter has to address that. And it's right there in Acts chapter two where he just has to say, no, no, nobody's drunk. This is the spirit. And he points back to the prophet Joel and he says, this has been promised that the spirit would come. And this is the spirit. And then he goes on to share in a very pointed way about the people and the gospel. I want you to just hear this. It says, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Is this a part of the sermon? Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, this is the part where he's about to call them out. Does Paul preach like that? Does Pastor Paul, does he just... It's a little bit, I bet. Yeah, I get a nod. He's awesome, y'all. This is, this is the people, and this is, uh, this is really bold. In fact, I can't believe that this was the approach, but this is ordained by God. This is what happened. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. That's where we pick up and understand Peter is preaching to the people who crucified Christ at Pentecost. They were a part of killing Jesus. And this was where the Spirit showed up. And this was the sermon. You put him there. That was how pointed it got. You put him to death by nailing him to the cross. And then he uses that to present the gospel. It says, But God raised him up from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So he explains, then he didn't stay dead, he rose again, and death couldn't hold him. And he's gonna go on to share that this gospel, this truth about Jesus, he didn't stay dead, he rose again, this is for you. You can find forgiveness in the one whom you killed, this is the message of Acts chapter two. And then the, the verse just leading up to where we'll focus, it says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And it, as it says, both Lord and Messiah, Peter shares, he is the long awaited savior of the world. You killed him, but you still get to be saved by him. That's the, that is the 180 conversion power of our God. The people who killed him still get to be saved by him. You ever felt like, I don't know, I'm too far gone. This may not, this may not work for me. It's not true. It's for you. Picking up where we'll focus. 30, verse 37, it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they could have reacted in any number of ways. This is how 
That's how it played out. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That was the question. And Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, this order of repent and be baptized. This is why in a in a church like our church, your church, how we partner together, how we have a, a believer's baptism. And, and when we look to scripture, it happens that the people, they would come to faith, profess Jesus, repent, and then be baptized. And you see that in Acts chapter two, it's in the Bible. And it's why we do what we do. And anyone that's maybe been a little bit on the fence or you, you believe in Jesus in your heart but haven't been baptized publicly, then wait no longer, move forward. Mention to Pastor Paul, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens with that, it's how the gospel spreads in part. It's people telling their, their story. Jesus died for me. He rose for me. I have eternal life in him. It's there for you too. It's These people, they killed him, and then they get to be baptized. Unreal. It says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Talking about forgiveness. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. He's still calling them out. He's pointed He's stepping on toes. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And this does allude that not everyone accepted. Some people rejected, but some accepted. And it says about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Spirit comes. Peter preaches. It's pointed, but it's about the gospel of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins Forgiveness for the people who killed him. And they respond 3,000 strong. And you can see, I mean, listen to this. If the people, talking about the growth of the church, the early church, and the spread of the gospel, if the people who killed Jesus publicly swallowed their pride and came to faith publicly in baptism, 3,000 at once you can see that's probably something that people were talking about, right? And you can see the design and the intent of our God to spread his truth. And, and it also shows the conversion power of our God. If it's for these people, it's for you too. It's for you too. This, this question, I, I, I titled this today, one, the 180 question. And, and sometimes you don't know what to ask. And it's, it's important at times you know what to ask. And this was the right question, wasn't it? The Spirit shows up. They hear this incredible message. It's pointed about the gospel, forgiveness for them. And then they say, brothers, what shall we do? Uh, my, my wife, Fallon, she, about a year and a half ago and going further back, she was having pretty significant health issues, digestive tract issues, painful surgeries, 
in and out of the hospital. And I remember in those days, and the doctors would come in, a specialist would come in. You don't get all that much time with them, you know. And, and some days we were able to really move forward and find out things and get the right thing. And sometimes we would think about the question we need to ask after they left the room, you know. And, and it just felt like we were maybe another day out. And those things aren't exact. And the doctors, they're trying to figure it out too. And but it, helps, it helps, though, in the situation if you know what question to ask. And this, this is something to put on the refrigerator or above the mirror or maybe over your dashboard. When you come to face-to-face with the gospel, with the power of the Holy Spirit, it's appropriate to then ask the question, what shall we do? Because the, the gospel of Jesus and the power of Holy Spirit, it's not just about attaining a knowledge. It's not just about even the understanding of something. It calls for a response. Anybody here been radically saved? The Lord pulled you out of the pit and put you on a new path. It calls for our lives. It's the right question. And with this, we want to we want to ask the question with this event. What about what does this event tell us about the 180? conversion power of our God. And if we ask that question and are able to answer it, it helps us to know about the power of God in our lives. And, and with that, such an incredible story at Pentecost, this movement of the Spirit, this is really important for our lives. This, it pierces the heart. And this is right out of the Scripture. Right out of verse 37, it says, when people heard this, they were My NIV, it says they were cut to the heart. Your translation may actually just straightforward say pierced to the heart. This from Dr. Daryl Bach, New Testament scholar, says this expression appears only here in the New Testament, only here. The verb refers to a sharp pain or a stab, often associated with emotion. Talking about what is the Spirit of God like as it moves in our lives? Sometimes it must be like a mighty rushing, rushing wind, violent. It, it can be that the Spirit wakes us up at 2 o'clock in the morning and we all of a sudden we know we need to go see somebody, we need to talk to somebody, or that we need to witness to somebody. It could be that we're praying and just all of a sudden immediately have clarity. But I would say often it's exactly actually just like this, Acts 2.37, where it says that it like stabs you in the heart. Let's talk about this. You know, the Spirit of God as it moves in our, our lives, it, it does at times create this thing that happens to us on the inside physically. It does. Uh, my, my wife and I, for years, we worked some with young people. We would do youth camps and children's camps and Disciple Now weekends, and working with children and 
teenagers and we would often have the conversation. And you get kids or youth in a, out of their normal environment and looking to worship and the Lord for just a, some consecutive days or a weekend or a week, you will see the Spirit of God move. It happens, especially with young people. Holy Spirit loves to show up with young people. And what happens, it will create these unique situations where some young person will be like, I, they'll come to you. As the leader, I, I feel weird. Don't say that. Something, something wrong. I, I feel sick. Or you see like they got sweat like pouring off their head, you know. They'd be like, something going on. I don't know. But it'd be like right in the, in the time of response after a service, you know. They're like, I feel something like right here. It's what they're, what, what's happening is the Spirit of God is moving, and they don't even know how to articulate what's going on, but something's going on on the inside. The interesting thing about it, it doesn't happen just with kids. That's, that's true with adults, too. We, just, we don't even hardly want to talk about it. It's what is going on, but you can sense it. It's like right here, cut to the heart. Anybody ever had the Spirit show up, and it's like right in your gut, right in your, like, it's right here, and it's maybe it's just overwhelming to you. You're trying to think, oh, maybe I'm trying to get my mind on something else. This is making me uncomfortable. And maybe because you know what the Spirit's convicting you of, and you don't want to deal with it, but you can't stop thinking about it. It's like right here, right here. You know what I'm talking about? You sense the Spirit. Like this, it's more powerful than words. Have discernment. Understand the Lord is trying to convict you of something. You may be on this path and he wants you to be on this other path. Maybe you're about a certain sin. He's trying to get you to recognize it, confess it, and turn from it. It could be that he wants you to be the next, next Paul Kemp and he's calling you to respond. It could be that he wants you to share your faith with the person you sit next to at school. It could be that he wants you to approach parenthood in a different way. It could be any number of things, but it hits you right here. Notice it. Recognize it. Don't be scared about it. Ask, ask the question, what shall I do? Pierces the heart. God's going to speak to you. Send the Spirit. And it's, it's, it's like a mighty rushing wind in your heart. It's, it's like that. And, and, and the, answer the question, what does this event tell us about the 180 power of God? We're talking about 180 degrees, the power to transform. It, it, it reaches the far off. And this is right out of verse 39 here. And, and it says it just like that. It says, the promise is for you and your children and just to process that, it says the promise is for you, the people who killed Jesus. And that would be their question, wouldn't it be? If they're even processing, wrestling with this at all, wouldn't, wouldn't they be saying, are you sure this is for me? And there it is straightforward from Peter right there. The promise is for you and your children. And in that culture, and we can understand this and we value this even now, in that culture, it was everything to be able to pass something down. Do we value that? For sure. The promise is for you 
and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. I studied this in the original language. It says, for all who are far off, looking at the NIV, and it reads, looking to the original language, exactly that, for all who are far off. Sometimes you do a little study and it just comes out exactly the same. Now, I, I'm, I have a gym membership. Used to be at the 24-hour fitness. 24-hour fitness. When I, membership I got when I moved to Plano. It was over, used to be over at Preston and Park in Plano. And for, for me, it was about a six or seven minute drive to the 24-hour fitness from my house. And what I want to share with you is, over time, it was too far. <laughs> it was. It was too far. You know, because I, I live at Coit and 15th. And so, like, that's at least, like, two traffic lights to get. I live over by Medical City, Plano, to get over to Park and Preston, that, that became you know, my excuse. That's just man, six or seven. I can't get there. Now my membership is at LA Fitness across the street from the church. And y'all, it talks to me. Like when I, I see it every day. I mean, when I'm driving up, it's like, hey, hey, Craig, but you hadn't been in a while. Come on. I mean, it's not like the Holy Spirit talking. It's different than that. But it's almost like it's, that's why I moved it, because I got to see it. I got to see it. Okay. Now, now, well, now I just don't have good excuses, right? You know, this is how we are, though, with, well, just about anything. People are that way with church. You know, if it's maybe 10 or 15 or 20 minutes away, at some point, oh, it's a little too far this morning. And we'll use that as the, I just, I'm just too far, or especially with just faith in general. Maybe you get to a place where we're a little bit distant from the Lord, from our, by our own doing, and for some reason there, even though it's even more of an emergency, right, and it's time to recognize and seek the Lord, for some reason a little further out from the Lord, we just have this mentality like I'm, too, I'm just too far, too far gone. It's like it's, it's a lost cause. And what Acts 2 is so pointed about, and it's the reason why Peter so, spoke so pointedly to these people about what they had done, is because he wanted them to know about the far off power of conversion. It didn't matter that they'd killed Jesus. Forgiveness is for them. Forgiveness is for everybody. I, I, I saw a scholar with this write about it, that this is whoever language. He was talking about, most specifically, about this opening up from the Jews to the Gentiles, but it was definitely talking to these people who had done something heinous. And what it says is, for anybody that wants to boldly in your heart it's probably not something you're saying publicly. It's probably something very subconscious. I'm too far out. What the truth is, is it's a lie. 
And you may have convinced yourself it's not true. The 180 conversion power of God, it's especially for the far off. And that strong hits you right here. It's for you. It's ridiculous that I wouldn't drive the six or seven minutes. That's how that goes, though. We just we convince ourselves of something, you know. The question. What shall we do? So incredible that that was the response. But that was the response right when they were cut to the heart. It's the right question. And the response from Peter was very specific. Repent and be baptized. And the baptism was a, a, it was a public profession of faith. It was I identify with the one that I killed. For us, we didn't kill Jesus like that, but it's our sin and shame partly responsible for Jesus' cross, and we must take it on in a personal way like that, that we might have understanding about what he's done for us, but he died, he rose again, he offers new life and forgiveness, especially for those, especially for us. But this repentance for the people who killed him, this is the answer to the question. And this is from Dr. Bach again. It says, Peter states that the proper response to his message is to repent. This indicates a turning in direction toward God and God's actions through Jesus. And the word repent, it means that, exactly, to turn in direction. So interesting, we, we, at First Baptist Plano, we have this series called 180 Degrees, and here it is, right here, Acts chapter two, and this is what you see over and over again, but that word repent, 180 degrees, to turn. Peter is telling his audience to change direction from the attitudes that led them to crucify Jesus. And look to God through Jesus for forgiveness. And that's the answer to the question. What shall we do? And so if the Spirit's moving, it feels like a mighty, violent, rushing wind, a, a stab right here. And you sense of God speaking to me. And you ask the question, what shall we do? And it's the right question. The Lord's response is... It continues to convict, and the Spirit speaks right here like a cut to the heart. It's, it's going to involve the specifics of what God wants you to do to 180-degree turn. I'm on this path. God wants me to do this. Last week at First Plano, we looked at Saul. He was on a path to capture Christians to Damascus. Because of what happened on the Damascus Road, by the time he got there, he was preaching Jesus. That's a 180 turn. So where is it in your life that God is speaking to? Is he calling for a change in direction? Do you already know where you need some help? Would you be willing even to beg for some 180 
conversion power. It's going to hit you right here. Ask the question, what shall I do? As the Lord speaks, will you follow through and turn?